We just live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. On the streets of old Milwaukee was a young boy walking. Somebody needs to take this mic away from you. You never need to hold it again. It's always a hater in the group. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Brew Hoop Podcast. I'm Adam Paris, co-managing editor of BrewHoop.com, joining you on, the, we're recording this on a lovely early Sunday morning, uh, but it'll be hopefully in your ears, early Monday or whenever it is that you're able to get to it. Joined as per usual by Kyle Carr and Riley Feldman, uh, fellow compatriots over at BrewHoop.com. Uh, hopefully you guys have had a lovely weekend. Any Any highlights so far, Riley? Uh, yeah, so I was able to scrounge together a ticket to see a band I was really excited about last night in Minneapolis, and uh, they put on a heck of a show. I enjoyed it a lot, and unfortunately, I meant I was out pretty late, and so this uh, early morning recording is going to be a little tough. So if I sound a little hoarse or a little groggy, I apologize, everyone. I will do my best to minimize that as, I, uh, as I'm able. Yeah, similarly, uh, the fiance and I took a, a day trip to New York, and we got in back at like one o'clock to Philly or so. So in a similar, similar state as you, uh, Riley, what about you, Kyle? Yeah. Emma's out of town for the weekend. So I've just been staying inside and playing board games and Xbox. So I, (laughs) I'm definitely taking the old man route and stay cooped up inside. Hey, nothing wrong with that. Uh, that, but, uh, speaking of, uh, old man, we'll talk about a couple of them on today's podcast, uh, in relation to the Milwaukee Bucks, we're talking, of course, um, as the season is about to get underway, about some of our expectations and what we deem as necessary for each player on the roster to have their season be deemed a success. So each of us have looked at it in our own way. Uh, none of us have. We tried to keep it broad for broad specifically so that we would be able to have uh, different ways of interpreting it, the question and hopefully that'll lead to more interesting answers between all of us. So let's dive right into it because we know this could take a while. We're going to go up and down the roster, starting, of course, with the obvious candidate, Thanasis Antetokounmpo. So, Riley, what did you decide as the rationale for why what would deem a successful season for Thanasis Antetokounmpo? So my first thought was guard Paul George and make sure he doesn't make the final <laughs> shot to win us the NBA finals. So that, that I think that would be a successful season. But in a more <laughs> realistic uh, world, what I'm looking for at a minimum is I, I kind of want to almost go just for minutes. So I, I think it was Old Resorter, uh, Old Resorter, a uh, venerable member of the Brew Hoop comment section. But on Twitter the other day, he had a poll out there. It was like, how many minutes will Thanasis play this season? I think it had like 400, 400 to 1,000, 1,000 to 1,400, something like that. So I think if he can get into something like 400 minutes, because that would be the cutoff between just playing like just garbage minutes and not having to be a huge part of the rotation. Um, I'm not even going to look for any sort of stats or anything along those lines because the only thing we have to go off of is his previous stint in the NBA, which was a uh, whopping two-game and six-minute total uh, time with the Knicks in 2016 in which he scored six points total. So I I think it's a little uh, tongue-in-cheek to be like, oh, can you do better than you did in New York? Like, Can you get more stats? It seems like he's going to get more minutes than that, but for me, it's not even stats, just purely will he get not garbage time minutes um, and are they more than just being like force fed minutes? Are they like actual, okay, 
here's five minutes this night just because we need an extra body or something along those lines. So that's kind of what I'm going along for uh, success for Thanasis. Okay, interesting. What about you, Kyle? I, it's not even minutes or stat-wise. It's just can he look like a competent NBA player when he does get those like, sporadic minutes on the court? Just because one of the biggest arguments we had with Thanasis was he's not an NBA player. He's not an NBA player. He's only there because he's Giannis's brother. So when he is in the game, if you could just show some NBA ability, whether it's three-point shooting or defending or rebounding, just something that can at least make you say, okay, this is why he's actually on an NBA roster, not just because of nepotism. I don't know. It's kind of tough just because we know that out of the four brothers, he's the least talented. I think that's been clear since day one. And now it's just a matter of, well, you have him for a couple of years. You're pretty much signing him just to keep Giannis happy. So now do we, is he just more of a morale kind of guy? Is he just like, you know, the locker room guy? Is he going to be end of the bench hype man, AKA the DJ Wilson role back in the day? It, I don't know, but I think for him, success would just simply be, He's an NBA player, and we'll still question the signing. We'll still think it's not a great signing overall, but at least there's a skill set that you can point to, which with most end-of-the-bench guys, that's all he can really hope for. Yeah, flashing at least one NBA skill would be uh, a really solid development for him. At least in the preseason, he's looked a little more competent than I had expected. I probably undershot this a little bit. I just have he's my notes just say he's Bonzi Colson. Um, which like, I think already he's exceeded some of Bonzi Colson's accomplishments by in getting a successful NBA contract and not being a two-way guy, et cetera, et cetera. But really, I, I don't feel like Thanasis should really be tasked or charged with playing many actual rotation minutes in any games that matter this year. I would hope that he's able to get garbage time. And the cool thing about this Bucks team is that there actually probably will be a lot of opportunities for him to play in real NBA games because there's such a high volume of garbage time with the, the blowouts that typically happen. And if at the end of the year, there were a lot of games last year where Bonzi Colson played a ton of minutes and those are just opportunities for Thanasis to kind of stretch his legs and at least flash a few moments in an, on an NBA game, on an NBA court. So uh, I'm, I'm really not expecting too much from him this year. I'm really hoping to basically only see him in garbage time and in blowouts just because I, I don't know. I just don't feel like he is someone who's actually going to contribute at all when it, this team actually gets to the level that they're trying to get to. So uh, I don't feel like it's that necessary, and I feel like they'd be – putting the team in a bad situation and potentially him in a bad situation by trying, making him try to do more than he's actually capable of. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. And I don't even know, like, even if they did give him minutes, like how would you even, if, if people are interested in like, what would be a statistical breakdown for like, Oh, this is a positive year. I think that would be tough to tell because he doesn't have like a really strong offensive game. So it might even be something as simple as like, can your on-off number be like neutral? Like, can you be a neutral defender kind of plus defender kind of thing? So I, that's something I would be keep an eye on is like what two lineups with him look like, at least on a defensive rating end, because I, I'm not sure if I can expect a ton offensively. And then, as you said, in the preseason, it seems like, you know, he has the physical abilities, but you know, there's a difference between being a frenetic defender and being like a plus system defender. So that's something I would be interested in as well as the season goes on. 
Yeah, anything else on Thanasis, Kyle? Well, he's better than Luke May. He did that final party shot now that he's gone. <laughs> Rest in peace, Luke May. <laughs> Luke May's career with the Bucks, I should say. Luke May is not dead, as far as I know. Uh, all right, let's let's move on. The next one is going to be Dragon Bender. I kept this one pretty plain and simple. I hoping that he might be able to stick around on the roster this whole season. But for him, I really think it is all with what the Bucks are asking their bigs to do. I think it's all about the three point shot with Bender. So his rookie season, he shot twenty eight percent. Sophomore season, thirty seven percent, and that was by far the highest volume of his uh, of his career up to that point. And then just twenty one percent last year on on lower volume. Obviously, got buried a little bit behind DeAndre Ayton, but his strokes look his stroke looked pretty good in the preseason. And really for him in any minutes, if he gets spot up minute spot spot minutes, or if there's an injury to one of the other bigs, they're really just going to expect him to hopefully be able to shoot the three. And then Giannis is probably going to have to help clean up for his defensive mistakes. So if his three point shot is, is back around the, the you know, above 30%, around like the 30, 33% where teams have to respect it, that really is enough for me to you know, deem it a successful season for Bender. What about you, Kyle? I mean, I don't think he's going to be the all-star candidate that a particular person that DM myself and Bucks Film Room had done. <laughs> but I think kind of the same thing, maybe being that stretch five where he can just come in, can shoot around 35% from three. I'm not expecting he, – he might be a good rebounder. I don't know. It kind of looks like someone that wouldn't be, but I just think being a okay stretch five, you know, if he were to be called upon in a blowout or – if there were injuries and he had to get playing time, can he at least kind of like the same with Thanasis? Can he at least look competent? I think he's a little bit, he's got a little bit more of a skill set. Defensively, I'm not sure if there's really much for him. I Dragon Benders is a weird kind of player where is was was he bad because he was on the Phoenix Suns or is he just not a good player? And I think that's really the question that I'll have. So being a stretch five that can shoot 35%, I think would be a success in my opinion. Yeah, and I think for me, it kind of ties into both of your guys, but really, <clears throat> excuse me, the success for him this season is can he survive the non-guaranteed contract from hell? Like, will he be able to make it all the way through the season? Because I think, <laughs> I don't remember how many cutoff dates there are, but it feels like there might be six or seven cutoff dates for when the Bucks can jettison him while like parts of his contract is guaranteed. So I think if he's doing those things that you guys just described and you know, it, it's, I know last week, Adam, you said that he kind of almost looks like Urson light a little bit. And so is he able to do, do enough kind of like replication of what Urson does in limited minutes without being like a total train wreck to justify the fact that we need this guy just for some more depth? Like, you know, is he going to be a better option in Bud's mind than DJ Wilson at the end of the season? If, if for whatever reason you need him. So I'd say, live out your contract. If you can make it and stay on the bucks until the end of the season, that's a success. And that would obviously uh, tie in with him playing well enough to deserve keeping on the contract. So. Yeah, that makes total sense. And obviously as we move up the roster, we're probably going to have more lengthy discussions about the players who are going to matter expectations for regular season and playoffs. And the next one that we're going to is our beloved Dante DiVincenzo. So Riley, what did you have as success for Dante? This one's uh, even even like simpler than the other ones. It's just like, can you play 45 games? I would like to get him over. Doesn't have to be starts. Doesn't have to be any sort of minute load. 
can he make up for the lost rookie season that was a year ago? And it, it does, I mean, 45 would be, obviously, I still think uh, probably not a good sign because that would either mean he's not good enough to play, which I don't think any of us think that's the case, or he continued to have injuries. So um, even something as simple as 45, 50 games don't matter about the minutes. Um, obviously, if we could shoot better than 6% on threes, that would be wonderful. Um, but for me, it's for Dante, just initial success. Can you play 45, 50 games um, and play those in a way that are justified and are healthy and continue to be super duper healthy and super healthy and the healthiest guy on the roster? So (laughs) simple for me, just be healthy. I literally had he plays 50 games. What about you? (laughs) Okay, there we go. Boom. I had 60 games. So (laughs) if if he's on, if, Okay, I shouldn't say playing 60 games. I would say available. You know, I I guess if he's injured for less than 22 games would be a win. Maybe he won't play, but at least he's healthy enough that he could make the bench. And maybe it's just like a case of Pat Connaughton or Sterling Brown or, you know, Wesley Matthews and Kyle Korver all getting the play time that he would have gotten. But he is at least healthy. So less than 22 games injured. Do, do, do you think there's any chance we're sort of underselling this uh, expectations? I mean, obviously him being healthy is is first and foremost what we need, but I, I'm curious, Riley, what you think, like, what do you think the Bucks' internal expectations are for Dante beyond being healthy? Man, that's a really good question. So I was just kind of looking at um, <clears throat> his stats from a year ago and like, it's really tough to make of, what's going on. So I I think internally they probably expect him to be like not a huge part of the rotation, but given what we've seen in the preseason, like with, especially with Eric Bledsoe out right now and George Hill kind of taking over the starting position, it almost feels like they're going to Dante as like the quote unquote sixth man. Now maybe he's not the first guy off the bench, but he is like the lead guard guard for a lot of the substitute rotation. So maybe it's a role like that where it's not even like how many minutes are you playing? It's more so are you doing this in a way that's competent enough for it to not be a big hole for us? The fact that we have to have George Hill out there with the starters are like, these are the minutes that George Hill is going to get. So we're going to need somebody else to step up on the roster. So I think they almost expect him to be that guy. And I, that's both based on what we've seen so far in this preseason and last year. I mean, it, he got, I don't even, was he, I don't think he was a starter at all last year, but he got minutes, quite a few of them right out the gates. And maybe that was partially them like saying, prove it or kind of showing, here's what this guy can do. But I I would kind of think that he deserved those minutes. So given that, given a whole year to kind of rest and heal and get ready and blah, 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 everything like that. I think they expect him to be a pretty large part of the substitute rotation. I doubt much in the way of starters minutes, but that's probably the role they're expecting for him. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking, too. It really does seem like Bud has a really strong affinity for Dante's game and obviously views him as someone who has a little bit more off the dribble and playmaking skill than some of those other guys in that two-guard rotation that we've clumped together throughout the offseason and preseason as we've tried to suss out who's going to get the most minutes there. Is your thinking, Kyle, aligned with what Riley's kind of saying? Yeah, it's just a little bit tougher just with the players that are going to be ahead of him. Like I said, Sterling Brown, Pat Connaughton, Wes Matthews, Kyle Korver. And you can assume that Kyle Korver and Wes Matthews will get playing time ahead of Dante. So unless he is, you know, the 
playing as a one with the bench units at, with Eric Bledsoe injured. I, it's just tough to know where he's going to get the play time. And who knows? Maybe he'll come on and play really well and earn that play time. It's just really tough to tell because there's, you know, five guys competing for pretty much the two spot. And then once Eric Bledsoe's healthy, it's just going to it's going to primarily be him and George Hill taking over the one. So there's not many spots where Dante can get playing time unless he plays really well and earn it. So I don't know. I think that's just the tough part. I'm not doubting a skill set. I just don't know how the other players around him will do. Yeah, that's a fair point. I think I think that's going to be a really fascinating rotational battle to watch as the season unfolds. All right, let's move on to the next one. Ursan Ilyasova. Kyle, what did you have as success for Ursan Ilyasova? Well, first of all, the fact that we are going to Ursan, we're basing this off of the oh no, value oh, don't do ranking. it, don't no, do we, it. We got to bring this up just so people understand. We're doing this based off of the voting of the valuable contracts, and if you haven't been following Bruhut before, basically we got hacked by Russian spies, and Ursan <laughs> continuously was voted at the bottom for some odd reason. All right, disclaimer aside, for Ursan, I think it's just continuing doing Ursan things and not facing a steep decline in his shooting ability. You know, he's going to take charges. He's going to get rebounds. Hopefully he doesn't go through as bad of a shooting slump as he did last year. So I think just doing what he does without age rapidly approaching him, just because this seems like it's going to be an expiring contract. I don't know if the Bucks are going to bring him back for the team option. I doubt it, but you know, he's still a good player to have as much as I am sour on Urza. Um, he's still someone that to come off the bench and play at the four and maybe even the five at times, it's not a bad option to have. So I think just continue what he does without aging terribly. Yeah, I I have almost the exact same thing. I basically just said he stays being Ursan. Uh, it's incredible his consistency he's had over all these years and somehow able to continue doing all these weird little tiny things, whether it's putbacks or take charges or odd step back threes. Um, it's it's incredible his how he's been able to maintain that production throughout all these years. So if he's like you said, Kyle, if he's able to do that without some sort of precipitous decline due to age or turning into like a defensive turnstile that seems completely unplayable, I'd say that's a huge win for for the Bucks, especially after that that big contract that they signed him to a couple summers ago. What about you, Riley? I think um, for me, it's can he keep the young guys at bay? So can he continue to maintain his spot? Like I am the first guy who's coming off the bench at like a forward spot for subbing in. Am I able to, if, if I'm Ursan, am I able to continue to, and I, based on the statistics, I mean, if you look at his per 36 stats, it's been like the exact same stat line since 2006, 2007 with like just slight variations in percentages and like totals, which is super remarkable. Like you have to credit the guy for the fact that he's, been so good at what he does for so long so i think same along you guys if he can continue to do that but more so if we're looking at it from a not like stats is is he doing well enough where it's they can't justify putting dj in front of him they can't justify putting dragon bender in front of him um and and is he still doing well enough where if the bucks want to go to like a small ball five kind of position can we have ursan out there so i i think for me abstract speaking 
just maintain your place on the roster. And I, I don't see if he continues to do what he did last season, that he wouldn't be able to do that. Um, but that's what I'm kind of looking forward to is there might be some sort of push internally. Like, well, we have to really figure out like, is DJ somebody we can actually have out there? And if Ursan's able to definitively play well enough to say, well, we can't really justify putting DJ out there because it'd be maybe a train wreck. Then I would consider that a uh, success for Ursan. That ties in really well with our next person we're going to, DJ Wilson, who I actually literally was talking about the exact opposite of that for Wilson. For a successful season for him, from from my standpoint, uh, he beats out Ursan or Robin for minutes on a consistent basis, and Robin Lopez, obviously, I'm referring to. We all know Bud's affinity for veterans, but we also know that Dante DiVincenzo isn't a veteran and he was first off the bench last season. Uh, clearly Bud is going to lean to those guys, but maybe when it matters, that might really be the crutch that he leans on. But, you know, there's been a lot of talk about DJ Wilson's improvement, his defensive versatility. Is he going to unlock some new potential amazing defensive alignment for Milwaukee? Does he give them a better chance to win when it comes playoff time? You know, if all that stuff is true, then, at some point, I, you know, I trust Bud to be smart enough and, and recognize that and see that DJ Wilson is playing good enough to beat those guys out and he'll give the Bucks a better chance to win. And he'll be he'll be in his third year now. You know, last year was obviously the first time we saw real flashes from him, but kind of got buried and didn't make any meaningful contributions in the playoffs. So, you know, it's kind of starting to get to be close to gut check time for DJ Wilson because, you know, the Bucks have – a decision to make on his fourth year option. And then after that, he'll be potentially a more expensive product unless he just doesn't flash it on. Then he signed to a minimum or something. But I was thinking that he'd have to, for him to really feel like this is a successful season in, in probably his mind as well, he's got to be able to beat those guys out for minutes. What about, what were you thinking, Riley? It's a, so I don't want to have this like color my view on the season that comes out, but I've just noticed that basketball reference has a 2019, 2020 projection for all the players. And so here's what they're projecting for on per 36. I have no idea how they're coming up with this, but 12.4 points, 18 or 18, 8.7 rebounds, 2.4 assists on 37% three point shooting. If that's the season DJ has, I mean, just give them the max right now. My God. Um, so assuming he doesn't reach those lofty numbers, cause that would be a hell of a story if he did. Um, I just want to see him maintain a positive, uh, on court net rating. So like his rookie season, he was a negative 30.1 net rating player, which is impressive. Like, I don't, how do you do that? It's something. And then last season, I think he got to plus 5.8. So he was in the limited moments that he had a positive player, um, whether even though it wasn't always like strong offensive play, he, like you said, uh, Adam, he did have flashes, at least on the defensive end. I mean, who will forget that sequence in Miami in the middle of December? I mean, it's put that to the highlight reel and that's probably the only real highlight. So for me, consistency on the defensive end and can he be like we said with Dragon Bender, I think what differentiates players in Bud's system, if you're not like a Giannis or a Chris, is what does a three point shot look like? And he's DJ doesn't have a strange form, but it, it always felt like something that could use a little working because he kind of throws the ball flat at the rim and he does take a while to actually take the shot. So if it can be a situation where he's getting up the threes quicker and he 
is at least seems to be a decent three point shooter in the stats that we've seen so far. Um, it's not like Giannis where it's like, we have to force it to happen just for the sake of forcing it to happen. It's like, just, this is what you're out there. This is what everybody who's not Giannis is out there to do. So if he can incorporate that more, a little, a little bit more heavily into his offense, we don't even have to see a lot like going inside or anything. Just do that more, be sort of consistent on the defensive end and we'll call it a success and we'll figure out the option for the next season. And it's what we're going to do after that. Yeah, and there was some talk. I read a couple articles about him tweaking his shot a little bit in the offseason. So curious to see if that yields any better results. What were your expectations for Wilson Co.? I think it's kind of like what you're echoing earlier. Just can he beat out Ursan and Robin? But I think for me, it's just more can you build can he build off of what he did last year? You know, defensively, we see that that's where he's going to make the impact. And you can even argue that. You know, the Bucks defense kind of suffered with the Miritich trade because it took minutes away from Wilson. So just building off of that defensive performance, I'm not expecting him to be a rim protector anymore, but if he could be a good help side defender, if he can stay in front of his guy, um, three-point-wise, yeah, his shot looks weird. It seems like it never has enough arc. So I would say maybe polishing his offensive game a little bit just because he seems like somewhat, at least around the rim, can he be a little bit stronger around the rim and not kind of get pushed off as much as it seems like he did, especially during summer league when that would happen. So you guys kind of already echoed what I thought of DJ Wilson. I think it's just more of a build off of what you did last year. Even if you're not getting playing time, at least showing that those skills are still there and you've added and you have gotten better and you're improving as a player. Now, if the basketball reference stuff that Riley mentioned happens, then yeah, just give him the most improved player. I'll let's buy his jersey. Let's get the statue ready. Get the jersey in the rafters because it's game over after that. I think we need to acknowledge the fact that everything that DJ Wilson has done since like day one of his rookie season, it's all been a success. Like how how this guy somehow managed that rookie season and is still on this team. Shout out DJ Wilson. It's impressive. And I think he's gonna get his option exercise for next season because he's still relatively cheap depth. And then Lord only knows the year after that, they're like, well, we don't really have anybody else to go for. So we're, we're bringing DJ back for his fourth season. So I, I wonder, or I guess it's just uh, whatever it would be exercise in the next season. So I think uh, shout out to DJ for still even being on the roster. I think we even said that last year, talking about expectations. Uh, and uh, I think that just needs to be acknowledged. Yeah, he finished last in the end. <laughs> that He's is shooting prior. up four slots. Way to go, DJ. Yeah, uh, and that was behind. The, I think I did two to a two-way guys that year too. So it was behind <laughs> them. No. So I felt uh, I felt Congrats bad. Congrats to you, DJ Wilson. Yeah, yeah. Uh, DJ. Yeah, proving the haters wrong. I'm excited in like the dystopian future when the banners they hang in the rafters can like project gifts, and that's where you can put his. Um, you can put that defensive sequence from Miami. Here's that the thing: we went from this guy who looked like a legitimate, like worse than a corpse player at the rookie. <laughs> To a guy who might walk out of here with like one to two championship rings, depending on how these next seasons go. So I don't know. Is it James Jones? Was that the guy who followed LeBron everywhere and got rings everywhere? Maybe DJ yeah. will be uh, Giannis's James Jones. And we can only hope uh, that turns out to be the case because every team needs a talisman. Yeah, that would be amazing if he was the James Jones and not his brother. <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. Yeah, you're right. Uh, anyway, all right, let's move on. We're going to start to get into some of this guard rotation. So next up is Sterling Brown. 
Riley, what do you have as a success, successful season for Sterling Brown? I want him to, he doesn't have to be the starter again in the playoffs. I think for any of these guys, once we start getting into the wing discussion, it's going to be for success for like a regular season. We saw it last year. They all kind of get minutes based on injuries and just kind of like who's hot, who's not. So I'm not even going to look at it like, what did you do in the regular season? Because I believe he, Pat's. Um, maybe Kyle Culver to an extent, uh, Wesley Matthews, all those guys are going to get time at different you know, spots throughout the season. So I want to see Sterling being one of the main guys in the rotation come playoff time. And it's not so much like main guy in the rotation because we're short staffed like they were against the Pistons. Um, I want to see him put it all together. And I think we've you know, he kind of did that last season, and I, I have no reason to believe he wouldn't be able to again this season. Are you able to justify having a main spot over like the Pat Connaughton's of the world? Because I think it's pretty straightforward, at least in my mind, that Sterling is a better defender than a lot of the guys that are going to be in that wing rotation. And so last year when we went to Pat, I was like, well, we just need to try somebody else here. So let's go for it. Can Sterling do enough to be like, well, we don't have to question it at all. He's a main part of the rotation come playoff time. And it doesn't have to be in the starting unit, but I'm trying to look what he did. What was this playoffs? He played in 11 games, started five of them last year. If he could play in, you know, 13, 14 games and maybe like it'll be 18 minutes instead of the 14.7 he gets um, last season. So that's kind of what I'm looking for. It doesn't even matter about the regular season for him. Interesting. What do you have, Kyle? I had improved version of Tony Snell just because I kind of mentioned it last week, but with Tony Snell's departure, I think Sterling Brown would be the ideal person to kind of slot in and be that three and D guy off the bench. Um, obviously we all think Sterling has like not necessarily a more defined skill set than Tony Snell, but I think he does other things that Tony Snell would it kind of Tony Snell is kind of more of a he'll just stand around the three point arc he'll shoot a three he'll help his teammates up well Sterling Brown he 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 can dribble he can kind of drive to the hoop more effectively he's more of a dogged defender um, so I think an improved version of Tony Snell which I think would get him minutes on the court compared to Pat Connaughton would be a successful season um, just because he's also coming up on a contract year I'm sure so he'll want to you know make sure to give but a reason to keep them around yeah the yeah the contract year is actually a good point and tony snell is is slightly the forgotten man from last year's rotation especially with how he, he got injured fell off didn't really make a, any sort of splash in the playoffs given he was still coming back from injury and then gets shipped off as part of the trade to clear some salary so yeah i had sterling brown as averaging two assists per game, you know, somewhere in that area. I believe he was at 1.4 last year. I just had it up here. Uh, yeah, 1.4 last year. And obviously his, his minutes will will change as the season goes on. But really what I, the, the crux of what I'm trying to get to there is, is that he has a little bit more creation and off the dribble game. I, I think that that's going to be necessary for him to try and differentiate himself from the other guards in that rotation so he's not – not as much of a, a one-trick pony as some of the veterans might be. Uh, I mean, granted, there's lots of arguments to be made that you don't always necessarily want a guy like Sterling Brown, who isn't amazing at driving, you know, taking advantage of that kind of stuff. You know, maybe Giannis should be doing that all the time. But I think you need guys 
like that who are willing to, and able to step up, especially with the the absence of Malcolm Brogdon. Yeah. yeah, more drives will probably go to Giannis and, and Eric Bledsoe and stuff, but I think you still need guys who are able to fill in and do that just a couple different times a game to give your offense a little differentiating punch. So I'd like to see if, if Brown can up his assist game a little bit. Yeah, I would agree. And, it, and we've seen in all his summer league appearances, like they've, and even when he was with the herd, it's like, that's the role that they've tried to incorporate him in. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's something they try again, like, okay, uh, it, it, and it'll be a question with like Dante as well, because Dante might be a better ball handler per se for like substitute rotations. But you're right that if we can get something a little bit stronger out of Sterling in terms of driving kick, which is kind of a big ass for a guy who doesn't have a lot of assist totals to his uh, name. It doesn't seem like he's really like a supernatural passer. He's okay, but all you have to really be in this offensive system is okay. So I would agree that if he's able to kind of do a little bit more of facilitating just in not even in the way that Malcolm did, because it's tough to replicate that, but I, I agree that something, some sort of role like that, if he could fulfill that, that would be awesome. All right, next up is uh, an elder guard, Kyle Korver. So, Kyle Carr, what do you have as a successful season for Korver? Don't be washed. That's <laughs> <laughs> That is my biggest fear. After that Miritich trade where we all thought, okay, here's a stretch four. His shooting ability is going to get Milwaukee over the top. And he absolutely was terrible shooting-wise in the playoffs when the team needed him most. So, for Kyle Korver, it's simple. Don't be washed just because I'm not going to question his shooting ability. Defensively, it's going to be rough at times just because he doesn't have the same speed. But if he can still shoot the ball, that's that's fine. That's a success in my book. I had, I think his is his is very similar to the I liken him to Miritich, but I have him as basically being a successful Miritich and not. Uh, not awful Miritich. And basically I just wrote, he hits three threes in a quarter in a playoff game. Uh, and I, I think <laughs> like that's really all I need him to do. I think that's why he was brought in. He was made based. He was brought in basically to be the Miritich, but the Miritich that makes three pointers. And I know he can do a little off the dribble stuff. He showed some passing and that's been really cool to see. But in reality, it, he's supposed to be Eddie house. He's just supposed to be the guy who's going to get hot for one game, win you a game in the conference finals in the finals, wherever it may be, that's why you have Kyle Korver in. That's what I want to see from him. Yeah, so what I had written down was, and this is kind of in contrast to last season, I want to see two Players' Tribune pieces from Kyle throughout the season <laughs> talking about how great Giannis is because Kyle Gasol, <laughs> I mean – yeah, you know, we're not going to be putting his jersey in the rafters. All that veteran leadership really came up huge for us in the Eastern Conference Finals. So thanks a lot, Powell. It was really great to have you. <laughs> and so for me, not washed would include, and I think Kyle has written for the Players' Tribune before. So this is, this is not new territory for him. So can we get two pieces out of him um, in a more serious mold? I, I don't even know what to expect because this is a dude who still played like 20 minutes a game last season. I really hope that's not the case for this team because that would mean either there was a disaster somewhere else or Bud like really doesn't trust the other guys on the roster. He's like, you know what, this 38-year-old dude, we're going to trot him out there for 20 minutes a game. So um, I think you're right, Adam, that really is like, can you just do something special for a moment in a game that really matters? Because 
I think it would be unrealistic. And I think people have their hopes really like, you know, I wouldn't say delusional, but they're really, really high, like off the preseason, like, oh my God, Kyle Corver's going to play 40 minutes and he's going to nail like 33s every game. But I don't think, I hope that doesn't happen because <laughs> I, I, I just think it would be, I, I think there are better options than Kyle Corver. So if he can just do veteran leadershipy stuff, if he can hit the occasional three, if he can continue to work with Giannis where it's like maybe he's not actually out on the court, but he kind of helps reinforce Giannis's tendencies to try and find the shooters and kind of work on locating the shooters. And I think those are all things that Kyle Korver can do without having to be like this huge piece that you have to have on the court. I would consider that a success for uh, Mr. Korver. Fair enough. Okay. Let's move on to the next one back in big territory, Robin Lopez. Uh, Kyle, what do you have a success, successful season for Robin? It's kind of weird because I I don't know necessarily stat-wise what to expect out of him. I, he's kind of a big body. He can defend. But I guess for a successful season, I have a two-parter. Uh, one is to stay healthy. I don't think he has he had the injury history that Brooke did. So as long as he stays healthy, because that way we have that backup five. And then also, this is more of the playoffs, but neutralizing Joel Embiid or Al Horford come playoff time because I'm expecting the Bucks to face Philly in Eastern Conference Finals. So just neutralizing one of them would be successful. Otherwise, I don't know. I feel like he's going to get out there, going to rough up some dudes, get a couple of rebounds, maybe shoot a three. He's not necessarily the kind of guy that's going to show up a lot of the stat sheets, just more defensively he's going to be sound offensively he's going to be in the right place to set the right screen so i don't know robin lopez is probably the toughest but i i would say neutralizing Embiid or horford would be the bigger uh successful part of his season i guess yeah i think you're right he is interesting in that it's hard to give necessarily it's hard to peg down what his stats might be this year you kind of expect him to get a decent you know 15 to 15 minutes or so per game backing up brook but you're right. It's hard. It was hard for me to put any sort of statistical framework around what I expected for Robin this year. I have similarly, just mine is a little more broader in terms of the defensive sense, but I have basically the Bucks rim defense slash defensive rating remains just as similar with Robin on the court as when Brooke is on the court. If you actually look at the, uh, the Bucks, of course, had a historic rim defense last year between Brooke Lopez's size, just blocking tons of shots and Giannis Antetokounmpo being down there. But with Robin on the court, his team's field goal, the opponent's field goal percentage at the rim has actually been uh, pretty good throughout his entire career, actually overall better than Brooks numbers, if you look at it. So if if he's able to just maintain the same sort of defensive presence at the rim, and I would say, especially also understanding the nuances of, of Bud's defensive scheme, I think it's underrated how incredibly hyper-intelligent Brook Lopez is at managing the defensive three seconds, knowing how high to come up on a screen to consider if a ball handler wants to pull up for a three slash lure them in to take a a mid-range jumper or recover back when they want to try and take him off the dribble. Uh, Those are all just some, it takes really, really high intelligence and also a good amount of athleticism. So I'm just hoping Robin Lopez, if he's able to basically be the Brooke facsimile on defense at the rim, uh, that'll be a hugely successful season for me. Uh, 
Yeah, I had pretty much the same exact thought. And if I was to like peg down a specific number, kind of following on what you said there, Adam, um, I would like to see his block percentage go up a little bit. So last year, Robin's block percentage was at 4.2%. The year before, 2.8%. And he's a career average 4% block rate. Um, and for Brooke, he was able to increase that up to 6.5. And and the thing with like both Brooke and Robin is they're neither of them are like really amazing athletes. Like obviously every player's an athlete, but they don't have like the jumping ability, like leaping ability. They both have like longer arms, but it's not so much. You see them like, wow, that guy's a physical presence just based on like his energy level. And so if we could see Robin increase from like 4.2, like 5.5, or even get somewhere up to six, which I think would be kind of a large ask if he's going to be out there with the subs. Um, but kind of off the back of what you said, um, if he can replicate, and I don't imagine there's a reason why he wouldn't be able to, um, what Brooke does, and, and I'd be curious if they try to run out more lineups with both Robin and Brooke and Giannis, how does that look defensively? And, you know, is is Robin able to do enough as whatever option in that uh, trio to justify those minutes? So I would agree that just maintaining what your brother did, but with the subs as best as you can would be great. And then kind of what you said, Kyle, it's tough to predict because we never really saw this team with a traditional, you know, quote unquote, traditional five last year, because I think it's unrealistic for, anybody do expect Robin to like come out and like replicate what Brooke does on the three point shot. I just, I don't see that being something that happens. Maybe, you know, if he has a whole nother season to work on it next year, it's a little bit better, but I don't see that coming this year. And last year we had like Thon who I wouldn't call him a traditional five. He was just like a crazy person <laughs> John Henson for a little while and looked like John Henson was about to ascend to like hall of fame status with, you know, a 60% three point shot. Um, I would have been curious what uh, John would look like in a whole season in Bud's system, but it's tough to predict what to expect from him. So defensive plus offense, it, you know, actually think about it right now. It would be interesting to see if Brooke is going to continue to be this like three point monster. Can Robin be his opposite and like really give the bucks an interior, like quote unquote, traditional center offensively speaking. And, Yes, everybody might roll their eyes like, oh, well, who the hell would play that in you know, the year 2019, which, granted, that's probably a valid point. But I would be curious to see what kind of new look the team would get if he's out there offensively. So can you be, you know, and I think he can be a decent interior uh, scorer in a way that a lot of the other guys on the team are not. And what does that look like for uh, options for Bud, at least? Oh, I would be interested in that, too. Um, all right, let's move on to next one, Pat. Connaughton. I have a successful season for Pat Connaughton. Uh, and this isn't like technically he needs to have this, but last year he had 25 blocks. The year before he had 22 in Portland. I would like him to have less blocks this year. And I would like him to have less blocks this year because he's not leaping at every single yes. shot. Yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> that is possible. It's really cool when you get him, Pat. Looks awesome, you know, that you had that cool block that led to dunk or whatever against Boston in the playoffs. Great work. But the reality is when you're lo- leaping around like that, you're really costing the Bucks' defensive framework a little bit of its structural integrity when you get out of position like that and jump into the stands and crash into people's beers. So please just keep your feet on the ground. Just do a, a nice controlled contest, and I'll be really happy with that. We know you can jump high. We all watched the combine or we looked at the numbers. Just 
keep your feet on the ground, strong contest, stay within the framework of the Bucks. What do you have, Kyle? Yeah, that's that's a pretty good one. Um, I would also add less than three times a game where I'm wondering where it where are you compared to the rest of the defensive shape. I think that's a fair assumption to have just because with his deciding I'm going to try and jump and block the shot and kind of with steals as well, he just gambles a lot. So maybe just don't gamble as much, I think would be a successful season just because, again, there's multiple times last year where he was so far away from his guy and thankfully most teams didn't capitalize him, but it's one of those where, you know, against better teams and if you, you know, especially come playoff time, you need to stay more grounded, kind of like what you're saying, Adam. So not being as rash and, I guess, risk-taking. So that combined with shooting a little bit better from three, I think he's kind of struggled. I feel like he shot around 30%, which is low. So I would say getting 35% as well, maybe even creep up to 37 and competing for a competing for those minutes, being that guy off the bench, beating out Dante and Sterling, and maybe even trying to get equal playing time as Kyle Carver. Yeah, just for what it's worth, 33% from three-point land for Connaughton last year on the Bucks. Okay, so yeah, 37%, I would say. I would want to see him get up to that number. Yeah, it, it's tough with Pat because, like I said earlier, when we were talking about uh, stirring a little bit, it's difficult to differentiate between each guy, like what a successful season would be. So in my mind, I almost want him to be that reliable like release valve that we've seen him be like last season where it was like, uh, okay, and there goes Pat just cutting to the basket, bing, bang, boom, easy. If you could, you being... Uh, Pat Connaughton, if you could do that more consistently for the subs, because as often as Bud would put him out there with the starting unit, and that's all well and good, because we're not going to have Malcolm available with like the subs, we're going to need somebody who not necessarily creates, but is able to help kind of free up the offense a little bit more than simply just three-point shots, because I think it's a different offensive look when it's like, okay, if you surround Giannis with shooters, that's one thing and it makes it impossible to guard. But if it's like Chris and maybe two okay shooters and whoever the hell else is out there, that's a little bit more difficult to function offensively speaking. So can Pat be a bit more of a consistent secondary option as they are on like sub units, if he's out there with like Chris, for example, and it doesn't have to be shooting 37% of threes, like being willing to shoot threes, but just, being a little bit more aware or being more consistent or really pushing the fact that I'm going to penetrate. Uh, and even though it won't always result in me getting the ball, um, if we can kind of keep the offense in motion, that'll kind of keep defenses on their back foot. Whereas if I'm just standing in the corner, if that guy's standing in the corner, if I'm standing over here, or they're standing over there, that makes it, I would think a little bit more difficult for a sub offense to operate. So that's what I would like to see is uh, be a reliable second option. It doesn't have to be like he's scoring a sh- uh, S load of points. He's just uh, reliable. Thank you for the self censor there. Yeah, sorry, I, you're good. <laughs> got, close. Um, got real close. <laughs> uh, I mean, the reality is, this might be his fifth year in the league, but he's really only played consistently for the last two. So there is a little bit of room to grow. I was I was heartened by some of the stuff he did in that last Minnesota game, actually, with the with a bunch of sub lineups. He would he was bringing the ball up, I think, twice, and uh, Dante Divincenzo was basically just running 
straight through the lane without the ball, cleared it through, and Connaughton was able to find a, a a shooter on the in the opposite corner with a really nice pass. Um, it's not necessarily driving or creating offense, but it is sort of just along the lines of trying to do a little bit more offensively than just being the guy who's spacing it or or cutting, like you were saying, Riley. Um, all right, let's move on to our next player, Wesley Matthews. So, Riley, what do you have as a successful season for Wes Matthews? <sighs> so. I think so far it's reasonable to guess that he's going to be the main starting guy. So I would say start in all of your appearances, which would uh, seem to indicate that he is the best of the guard options. So however many games that be, whether it be like 67, 70, 75, however many, be the starter. And then beyond that, just be, you don't have to be a Malcolm Brogdon replacement. If you can be an even more plus shooter and whether that be shooting quicker, shooting at a slightly, it'd be tough to beat the higher percentage, but you know, I think he's a career 38% three point shooter. So can you do that? And are you able to do it at a high enough rate and with enough frequency um, and with enough speed to really give this offense a whole new look that, Malcolm just did not have that if I've been told by a lot of people because Malcolm was so quote unquote hesitant to shoot. Um, does that gravity open up new things? So be a starter, continue to earn starters minutes. And I'm assuming when you're earning starters minutes, that's because you're giving enough punch elsewhere on the offense to justify your position. So that's what I'm looking for. What'd you have Kyle? So based off of his past seasons, he's consistently shot at least 36% from three. So I'm going to say 37% plays 60 games, starts over half of them, and shoots around five threes a game. I think that's I think all those are in line with what he's been doing. He's also another guy where he's not as old as Kyle Corver, but he didn't have that Achilles injury. So how much did that affect him and how much is that going to bother him as he gets older is going to be a question mark. Um, but for the deal that he got and if he can just continue doing what he's been doing, I think that would be a win for Milwaukee. And like I said, I don't think he's going to get as many three point attempts, you know, throughout the course of the season, but he's, I would say, yeah, 37% and still getting about five threes attempted a game. I like it. I, I had kind of envisioned to probably be producing at a, relatively similar rate in terms of field goal conversion. So for mine, it was give this man a, a successful season for me for Wesley Matthews is less minutes on the court because this man deserves a break. He deserves to not be run into the ground. Let, let me read you. So I'm pretty sure he tore that Achilles in like 2014-15 last season with Portland. Yeah. As far as I remember. Next season with Dallas, this man averaged in 78 games almost 34 minutes per game. And then he averaged 34.2 minutes per game in 73 games the next season with Dallas. And then 33.8 the next season with Dallas. And then last year, he averaged 30.3 across the whole year at 32 years old. Um, I think this man just needs a little bit of a reduced role. I think he needs to not feel like he has so much wear and tear uh, on his body, especially at an advanced age. And for a Dallas team that relied on him actually pretty heavily offensively to try and produce... Uh, I think a successful season for West Matthews is getting into the bud uh, rest and recover minutes uh, split, trying to give his players to a an opportunity to maximize their minutes as opposed to overexposing them. So 
I'm hoping that for him that that's that creates a more successful season and and he's even more productive in those minutes that he's given. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point because when was the last time like even pre Achilles injury that he wasn't like one of the main offensive options on whatever team he was on. Even last year with Indiana, Oladipo went down. So I was like, all right, it's the Wesley Matthews show from here on out. And like, it, that's not sustainable given his history and just how long he's been doing it. I don't think so. I agree a reduced role, but I'm curious, like everybody, not everybody, but I think a lot of people speculate that he came to Milwaukee because he would get a starting role and he would have like a pretty big role. So Yes, it would be great if he kind of was able to dial it back, but is that something he wants or is like really willing to do? I think it'll be tough for him to justify not doing that given the way the roster is and the other starters, but that's something to keep an eye on is like, how does he feel or how does he respond or is he even more efficient or does that kind of throw him off because he's so used to having that large role? So that'll be interesting to watch. Yeah, that's that's a smart point. I think out of any, out of anyone on the roster, he seems like the guy who given the fact that he signed for so little feels like he might have the most, it feels like he feels the most in line uh, to have an expectation coming in. Like, I I don't know how much expectations Robin Lopez has Uh, Corver. I don't really know. Bender, God knows Thanasis, Jesus. Um, But (laughs) I mean, for, for Matthews, he definitely came here with the expectation of playing like you're saying, Riley. So, how is how is the organization going to kind of square that with their preconceived notions of probably trying to give a guy a little bit more rest and play him in a little 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 fewer minute allocations to hopefully give him a bit more punch in those times where he's on the court? And and I think just one more point on Wes, and this kind of goes for George Hill as well. Both of them. Another thing that could be a success for both of them is like, can we keep the Malcolm Brogdon comparisons to a minimum? Like, is is he able to do something different enough or kind of you know, whatever, be productive enough for people like, well, you know, if we had Malcolm out there, it would be X, Y, Z. So that'll be something to keep an eye on as well as like last year, I think, uh, I don't remember what exactly I said a success for Chris was like, can we keep the complaints about the coming contract to a minimum? And uh, that didn't happen. <laughs> it didn't happen, obviously, but it'll be kind of similar for Wes and Georgia is like narrative wise. Can you keep the like lamentations about Malcolm being gone and Wesley's going to have it even worse because he's taking directly Malcolm's spot in the rotation and so what does that look like? And is he able to do enough in a way that's you know positive for the team where it's like, well, it doesn't matter all that much that Malcolm's gone. Yeah, uh, really, really excellent point and delightful segue into our next player, George Hill. Uh, Kyle, what do you have a successful successful season for George Hill? Um, be a continue his run from the playoffs, maybe a little bit lower because what he did in the playoffs last year, I don't think anyone saw coming. And I think it'd be unrealistic to expect that same kind of performance because then we would may probably be saying that he should be starting. So I would say just a step below the playoff performance he had last year. Obviously, staying healthy is going to be important just because if he goes down, then I don't know who's going to take those backup one minutes. Maybe Dante, maybe Pat Connaughton, maybe just have Chris Giannis handle that workload more. So. And kind of like what Riley was saying, he is going to have that comparison to Brogdon because, you know, part of why Brogdon isn't there is because they wanted to pay Brooke Lopez and George Hill. So if George Hill has any kind of slump, then they're going to compare. I think they're going to compare Brogdon to him. Also, a fun little one is have a one-on-one shotgunning competition against David Bakhtiari. I don't think it's going to happen in the middle of the season, most likely 
not, but it would be pretty cool to get some kind of video of that where the two of them go face to face. I would watch that. That's content I would watch. That's a great point, Kyle. Uh, what did you have, Riley? <sighs> George Hill is so weird. I am even more nervous for George Hill than I am for Wes Matthews of like an extreme drop off coming because up until last year's like playoff performance against the Celtics and the Raptors, which all credit to George, he bailed uh, our asses out quite a few times uh, in both series, even though it didn't end up work out working out against the Raptors. So I don't even know what to peg. I just want him to not like be a complete. I doubt he'll be a disaster, but like last year in his 47 games for the bucks. And I think there was an injury stretch in there as well, which if we could avoid that, that'd be great. But I think that'd be tough to do. I think he shot like 28% from three, his assist rate. I think he had like 2.1 assists and 0.7 turnovers, which isn't too, too bad. It's it's like, you know, adequate and just 6.8 points. I have no idea what to expect from this guy because it feels like he's not in a stage where he can take on an even greater role. So if that's the thing that he's going to have to do as like the sixth man, quote unquote, um, can you do that without there being a precipitous drop off in your production or like, you know, we're, we're noticing like this guy's getting a lot of minutes, but it's just after a certain X, Y, Z point of minutes, it's just not helping anymore. So that's what I'm looking for. And that's tough to quantify or to really put into an expectation, but I'm really nervous that it felt like two years ago, people were like, George Hill might be washed. And then we gave him the contract we did because he did really, really well in the playoffs. And if that's what he does again, super, just don't look washed. Like it'll be kind of like the Kyle Corver, but because Kyle Corver is just a shooter, it's a different thing. Whereas George Hill is like, we're expecting more of him in terms of what can you do on the court? So just don't look washed. If we could do that, that'd be wonderful. And then we'll figure out the contract later on. But I am nervous to see what his year is going to look like. I'm really glad you brought that up because, because obviously I love the, um, the ranking the roster exercise and now Kyle has given away that we're doing it in that order. But uh, George, George Hill was the one that when it was all said and done, you know, it's hard when you're kind of in the moment and you keep going through it. But when it was all said and done, I just kind of kept thinking, man, we're paying this man like 9 million a year. Uh, And I know at the, I believe it's the third year is is partially guaranteed or something. Um, But and he was making 20 million last year and I get it, but 9 million a year is kind of a lot compared to what we paid some of these other veterans. Yes, we need him. He handles ball handling. He really did fantastically in the postseason. But like you said, I mean, he was horrendous really in the regular season. I mean, 28% from three uh, in the regular season, just absolutely atrocious. Uh, the Bucks were, um, to, you know, they were pretty, they were better on defense with him out there, which is, makes sense that's really what he's able to kind of do at this point but offensively uh minus 3.4 points per possession worse um per cleaning the glass when he was on the court versus off uh you know was the playoffs just a a flash in the pan is it uh the case where this guy really is maybe biding his time and then expends even more energy when it comes playoff time was the narrative that he felt like he had to work with when he was in Cleveland, he had to work with LeBron James and he wasn't able to like unleash the George Hill who takes control of the game. You know how there was kind of that narrative last year. And then he was kind of when Brogdon went out he got the green light from Bud to be aggressive or whatever, which I feel like when you're a professional and you're like 32 feels kind of like a weird thing to have to do, get the green thumb, you know, the green light from your coach to do that. But, um, you know, the other factor is that this guy also spent the last, he hasn't spent, 
a full season in one place since 2016-17 with Utah. You know, he was on the move. He was in Sacramento, moved to Cleveland. Last year was in Cleveland, moved to Milwaukee. So who knows? Maybe he's a guy who stability feeds into his game. I mean, he was like that for the first about eight years or three years in San Antonio and then five years in Indiana. And he, we all know what he did in Indiana. So maybe that's a factor too for him. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. And like, even just looking at some of his other numbers, like the games played, he's had a lot of seasons where he's playing like 77, 78, but that was like years and years ago. So like he's had seasons where like just 50 games played, 43 games played, 49 games played, uh, 67, two years ago, 60 last year. He, he, like this is also a guy with an injury record. Like we don't think about it too much now, but didn't he, he had like some foot issues when he was with Sacramento, I believe as well, which is why he didn't play all that much there. Like, yes, he was really, really helpful in the playoffs, but was that like the ultimate contract year? And instead of contract year, it was the contract two weeks. Um, and I think that's something you could definitely be concerned about. So it's just kind of wrapping around to what is success. Just try to avoid those narratives. Like if we can, if you can competently be out there without us being like, damn, we're paying George Hill nine, $9 million a year. Um, if we could do that, I think that would be a success, but I, I'm really not sure whether or not we can expect that from him because he's aging and uh, his game doesn't necessarily rely on like really crazy athleticism, but we need a little bit of it to be really effective, especially on offense. So can he continue to maintain that? Yeah. Anything from you, Kyle on George Hill? Uh, I don't think so. I think, like I said, if he can just replicate something similar to what he did in the playoffs, I don't think anyone's going to comp- complain or compare him too much to Brogdon. I think, you know, staying healthy is going to be huge. And, yeah, I, I feel like he's going to be kind of the big X factor for the Bucs season because I feel like if his performance slips, then at least in the regular season, that's where the Bucs are going to lose a couple games. And does that cost the onesie? Probably not. But, you know, those are the, those are the kind of questions and, like, playoffs questions moving forward that will have to be answered if, if he has a letdown of a season how does milwaukee adjust moving forward in preparation for later in the season yeah and speaking of letdowns uh let's move on to our next player eric bledsoe uh, who of course we all know about oh boy. His letdown in, the, in the playoffs last season going to be probably impossible to avoid that narrative we couldn't avoid a lot of it last season either um, let's start with you, Kyle. What's your expectations for a successful season for Bledsoe? Zero disastrous playoff series. Ugh, that's it. That's a big <laughs> just, ask. That's a really yeah. big ask. I know, but that's the only thing I can deem it as a success because I think he'll make first team all defense if he continues his play in the regular season like he did last year. But none of that matters if he has another train wreck of a playoff series because we saw it in his first year against Boston. Then he kind of shook that off against Boston then had a train wreck of a series against Toronto. I if he, The Bucks can't win a championship if he has a train wreck of a series. So zero disastrous playoff series would be the only thing I can really call a success for Bledsoe now, especially that he has his contract. Yeah, I I think I, for me it was impossible to do anything other than that. I, I agree wholeheartedly, Kyle. I uh, – I, 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 absolutely agree with you guys i think it'll be interesting to see what this rib injury does for him um and i I doubt it'll have like really lingering effects but like you know he's a guy who a lot of his game is predicated upon like his athleticism and his ability to just blow by guys and use his strength to get by guys and so if he has a couple weeks off where he can't really like 
even work out all that much. And it seems like he's back. So maybe it's not that big of a deal, but I agree that the playoffs is key. And it's not even like, you know, there's a reason why we have uh, Chris on the team. There's a reason why we have Giannis. Like those are all great. Yes. Eric being able to do what he does in the regular season, bringing it over. That would obviously push us over the top, but you know, in his playoff appearances career uh, season. So he's, he shot 42.9% when he was with the Clippers. That was like 2011, 2012. Not bad. That's from three. The year after that, he shot 11% from three. Uh, the first season with Milwaukee, he shot 31.8% from three. And last year, I don't even, this is, I mean, just God awful. 23.6% from three. Like, I don't even know wow. how that, how that happens. It's just, it's making that, that Boston season uh, the year before almost seems good. 31. Yeah, exactly. Like 30. Like, wow, I'd die for that. Like, we're <laughs> dying for that. Like, Jesus Christ, please make a shot. So if we can get him back to like 30% from three and it seemed like even when he was struggling against Toronto, he was willing to like still try and go inside, even though he wasn't a super duper great finisher inside, unfortunately, because I think, let me see here. Yeah. Uh, field goal percentage. He actually shot 75% within three feet of the basket. And that's including both the Celtics and the Detroit series. So he was still able to shoot at a, and like convert a really high level inside, which is what this team needs. The issue is when he's taking five shots or five threes a game and he's making 20% of them or whatever, just one of them. And so successful off or playoffs would be obviously the goal for everybody. And I think that includes like shooting 30% from three. Like, can you be enough out there that teams just don't totally ignore you and then you get in your head and it's a vicious cycle where it's just like, why, why are we even playing this guy? So that's what I'm looking for. And hopefully it comes true. Have his version of the Kyle Lowry 2018-2019 uh, playoffs. Like, like, if we can finally break through, then obviously I think that would put the team over the top. So to just do what Kyle Lowry did last year. hundred percent agree. It, it, it's going to be impossible to avoid this narrative all season long for Eric Bledsoe. It's a it's a bummer because I really like watching him play and I really appreciate what he does in the regular season. I think he was awesome last year, or spectacular, but. Uh, the reality is this is going to loom over him the whole year, kind of like it did last year. Uh, so kind of a bummer for him. All right. Next one, Brooke Lopez. Riley, what do you got for a successful season for Brooke Lopez? Oh, um, you know, for me, actually, kind of what I was thinking about, and maybe this is like, I, I, if you look at the stats, maybe I'm totally wrong. Did it feel like to you guys that he sort of disappeared uh during the playoffs a little bit, like especially against the Raptors or the Celtics to kind of feel like he just kind of didn't exist anymore. Or am I remembering things? Well, I feel like with the Raptors, it was, he had his great game one where he, I would say single-handedly won that game for Milwaukee and then kind of tapered off and faded away throughout the rest of the series until game six, when he was the only guy that could generate offense. So yeah, it, I kind of agree. I don't know about Detroit and Boston just because those series were just so quick and Milwaukee had destroyed them, at, destroyed both of them with relative ease. But, you know, maybe he did because I feel like I didn't really highlight much of Brooke Lopez in games two through five. And then it was like games one and the second half of game six. I was like, OK, this this guy's going to win, try and win Milwaukee the game. Yeah. And, and so shot terribly against Boston. Yeah, yeah, I kind of remember that. Like, so here, here's what I'm kind of thinking in my mind for successful. I think it, we can reasonably expect him to do the same exact thing that he did last year uh, in the regular season. So, what I would look for is don't either 
don't get in your minds where it, it I wonder if almost and this is doing psychoanalysis from you know 500,000 miles away so take this with the largest grain of salt but you know this was still a guy who he was an interior score like and he is he is and was a really really good interior score and we've even seen it like in the preseason last regular season uh etc cetera, etc cetera. he's still a good interior score and even though he's transitioned to being such a dominant outside shooter, I do wonder where maybe last season he we really things start getting tight. It's like, oh crap, we're in the Eastern Conference Finals, and I'm the seven footer, who yes, he's an accomplished shooter, and that's part of his mindset. But like, does he? It, I would have to go back, and maybe I'm totally making all this up. But maybe there's something where he's worried about taking a lot of threes. Is like, well, is that really the most valuable way that I can help out the team? So if we can be a little bit more consistent either shooting and making the three and not worrying about it so much in critical moments, like in the Eastern conference finals or whatever, or alternatively, I'm also, I would kind of be curious, like, can we, can it be a successful season if he incorporates a little bit more of a different look to his game, whether that be kind of doing a little bit more inside and I'll be kind of putting together an article looking at whether or not that would be a valuable look for the team. But maybe a successful season isn't just hey can i shoot 50 billion threes like yes you can do that we we everybody knows you can do that and it's really impressive and it's really cool and everybody loves talking about it but it is are you threatening almost became becoming one dimensional which is weird to say in the year 2019 where you have a seven footer who's shooting threes but it's like can you add more to the team by doing something a little bit different and of course that would have to include bud using him a little bit differently like using him inside or whether it be like a facilitator from the elbow whatever it is and maybe that's not the best way to use him but i would kind of say a successful season is either being a little bit more not hesitant or contributing a little bit more in a playoff series or giving the team a little bit of a different look so it's not like okay Giannis, charge at those guys all right Giannis, charge at those guys <laughs> hey Giannis, can you go charge at those guys like time 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 after time uh if we could do something a little bit different i think that would be valuable for brooke and his success yeah uh what did you have kyle well last year he shot about 36 percent from three which that seemed about on par for what i was expecting but in the playoffs he only shot 29 percent. so i would say in the playoffs getting that even to 33 percent would be huge and i know we always have questions on his health but the last few seasons, he's actually played over 70 games. You know, 2014-15, it was 72. 2015-16, 73. 16-17 was 75. 17-18 was 74. And then last year, he played 81 games. So I think durability questions can be put aside for now. So now it's just a matter of, you know, kind of like what Riley was saying. It doesn't have to be so one-dimensional. And I think what we saw the second half of game six, you're going to have to do more of that just because, you know, if Giannis is struggling or Middleton struggling or Bledsoe struggling, you need a second player to get baskets. He's going to be that guy where you just give it to him down low and let him, he still has the skill set to do it. So I would say stay around that 36% from three, try and get at least 33% from three in the playoffs and yeah, kind of get that low post game going in the playoffs when things are slowing down a bit. Yeah, I completely agree with you, Riley, in terms of adding offensive versatility. I think he could be the fulcrum for that because we talked a lot about how this year, well, 
what new looks is Bud going to install? We saw his system get quote unquote figured out against Toronto and all that kind of stuff. So it was what it was like, what's the chess match that he's going to play. And, and Brooke Lopez feels like the easiest piece to move just because like you said, he was essentially kind of this one dimensional person and he unlocked the offense that Bud wanted to run. But if you're looking to try and add some new wrinkles and some new looks, he seems like the easiest guy who had a large part of his game essentially shoved to the side, put on the shelf for a while to unlock this different potential part of his game. And uh, especially if you look in the, I mean, if you look in the playoffs, really struggled against Boston from three uh, in Toronto, obviously we know all know about his, his game one performance. Um, and it was heartening to see him get to the line a little bit more. He barely got to the line against Boston. But I think the other thing when we're thinking about expectations for him, especially come playoff time, that I, I didn't even think of, and this is this narrative isn't always true, but uh, the last playoff series that Brooke had been in was 2015, Brooklyn against Atlanta, just around one. And he had only been in one playoff series before that, 2013 with Brooklyn, and then 2014 he was hurt. So uh, this is a guy who really does not have that much experience in the postseason, and that certainly wasn't something that I was thinking about coming into the postseason last year at all. Dude, was anybody happier than Brooke Lopez that Eric and Chris both struggled? He's like, whew, man, they're going to take all that heat. I'm good to go over here. Like, oh, yeah. I was going to say, was anyone happier than Chris Middleton that Eric Bledsoe struggled in that <laughs> There's like an order of operations. Like, <laughs> Eric was really, really sad. Chris was slightly happier because Eric had a bad series. <laughs> and Brooke was slightly happier because Chris and Eric both had bad series, uh, respectively. So, um, and no, I, I think... And this is all this is, you know, I'd rather not people get on our backs. It's like, I'm not advocating that, like, dude, we need to just feed them down in the post every single time down. But <laughs> I think it's reasonable to expect this guy who for a long, long time was like such a dominant inside scorer. And yes, Giannis is a really dominant inside scorer. And the way that the team plays, it optimizes all that. But it's like, there's there's nothing wrong with trying to go to somebody else's strengths and using that in a way to like, okay, this is a look that the other teams have not seen Milwaukee do like all season in any sort of like really big way. So how the hell are we going to, you know, get around this? And I think that would just be valuable where, like you were saying, Adam, you know, it gives Bud a tool and he would have to actually like adjust and use that tool for it to even mean anything, but you know, give Bud as many options or as many ways for him to bail himself out. And I think it's reasonable to say that Brooke being able to go inside or being allowed to go inside a little bit more. Yes. It's not a deal. Yes, it's not nearly as like cool looking or it's not as optimal for the offensive system. But I mean, the optimal off offensive system got us outed in six games in the Eastern Conference Finals. So be willing to do something a little bit different uh, if that gives you better options. All great points. All right, Kyle, second to last one here. Chris Middleton, what do you have for a successful season for him? Uh, I, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would say the same thing as Eric Bledsoe. Maybe just, but it's not like Chris Middleton had, I don't know. Cause I want to say don't have a train wreck of a playoff series as well, but I feel like, I mean, everyone's going to argue about his contract that I just accepted. That's, that's his fate. Everyone's going to complain about it. It is what it is, but you know, it's weird because in the playoffs last year, he still shot 40. Wait, does it really say 43%? Hold on. That seems ridiculously high. yeah no 43 percent which 
I guess it makes sense because he was a flamethrower against Boston. So had to come down off that sixty-one percent from three against Boston. Right. I was like, that seems really high. I was like, oh yeah, because he was he couldn't miss against Boston. But I, I think it's just m- become an all-star again, just so it can erase the doubts that people may have had last year. I, I don't know what more we can expect out of Chris Middleton. I don't think his game is going to get any better. I don't think there's really anything that he can necessarily maybe be a better playmaker. That's the only thing you can really ask for him to improve on, but otherwise just can shoot a little bit more threes would be great, but I don't think that's going to happen. Shoot better in the book in a big playoff series. Again, I don't know if that'll happen. So I guess making an all-star game would be a successful season that and combined with don't have you know, a train wreck of a playoff series like he did against Toronto a couple of years ago when we found out he was actually just like super ill and had to go to the hospital. So I I don't know what more Chris Milton really can do. And people are going to argue about his contract until it runs out. And that's just the fate I've accepted. I, I had the exact same idea. It's like, just, just make an all-star game again. Like, and it, that's weird for a team that has such lofty expectations, but um I would say if he makes another all-star team, and I, I think that's definitely not outside of the realm of possibility, given the way the East is set up, I think that would be validating. And I think it's difficult to really quantify like what else you could expect from him in the playoffs. Like, yes, it would have been really awesome if he averaged 30 points a game in the Raptors series, but I'm going to continue to like put chalk up at least a little bit of it to the fact that he had to guard Kawhi. And even though it wasn't like, wonderful he you know he was decent uh defensively and that's a lot of energy they have to expend there so i agree with you kyle that and i haven't even surprisingly heard all that much complaining i mean it's just preseason so who knows about his contract but if we can just do like averages from a year ago playoffs wise and if we can keep our open disagreements and fights about taking the mid-range uh with bud to like two during the season i think that would be a success and so all that combined with an all-star appearance uh you know, I, th- I think it would be a pretty good season for Chris. I had the heart. I think I had the hardest time with Chris Middleton. I, it feels like he's sort of reached a peak of his career where he's going to kind of plateau out now. And if he's reached this high contract, he's got this big contract. If he is what he is for a lot of time, a lot of Bucks nation seems kind of resigned to that. I'm really curious. Obviously he did really well or pretty well against Kawhi Leonard in the playoffs or whatever. I mean, Kawhi didn't really shoot all that well. And he was, you know, switching off the role with Malcolm Brogdon as well. Um, But I, 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 if, I don't know for me, like a successful season for Chris Middleton, he like might have to find a way to up his game. I, I, I know, like look, we all said, like he expended a ton of energy in that Toronto series, guarding Kawhi and whatnot. Um, but I mean, I, th- I feel like part of the reality is, if the Bucks want to win, yes, they need Eric Bledsoe to be better. Yes, Giannis honestly actually has to play better. But like uh, in a league where now it's one A, it's 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 second, it's it's teams of of just duos. Um, the Bucks barely even make that conversation usually. Like some people don't even consider consider Chris Middleton a part of that. Uh, last season in the conference finals, here's how many points he scored in, in games uh, one through six. 11, 12, 9, 30 in the game that the Bucks lost by 18. 6, and 14. <laughs> make like, sure the qualifier on the third game. Sounds like, oh, yeah. nice. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what I mean? Like, 
I just I, I'm not sure if he can get there, but for him to have a successful season, I think he needs to I he needs to make it so that when the team when the league is talking about who's the best duo in the league, they don't say they don't even not include Chris Middleton. Like they need to include Chris Middleton. That's how I think that's the only way he can have a successful season for me. Yeah, I, I, guess I think that's fair. Yeah, I, I think as much as I appreciate and everybody should appreciate Zach Lowe's appreciation of a player, if we could get more than just like a deep cut Zach Lowe, like mention of Chris Middleton, 30 paragraphs into a 600 paragraph piece, <laughs> I think I think that would be a success. So I don't know if we have to peg it at like over under 1.5 mentions by Skip Bayless in a positive way to like <laughs> consider it a successful season. But I agree that he can play more it's i don't even know if it needs to be efficiently it's like you're right that the difference between this team and a lot of the teams is like it's strange we're like almost like the depth team in that we have five maybe four maybe 4.5 however it works out really good starters and obviously a super duper star and Giannis. but chris is like like a cardboard cutout of a second star. Uh, and I say that with all due respect. So can he do something, whether it be taking over again, kind of in a way like the way he did in the Boston series. And I do not expect him to shoot 61% from three again in a series. That would be unrealistic. But, you know, I, I, I agree that he got paid the amount that he got paid because he's supposed to be the second guy. And uh, at least offensively outside of that 30 point uh, outing and a beatdown. He wasn't that guy, and uh, I, I suppose I should temper the you know this kind of excuse missing like well he he guarded Kawhi like well there's a lot of guys who have to guard other really good guys and also still do really well on offense so I think it's reasonable to expect him to like can we get a little bit more I mean you are getting paid thirty seven million I don't begrudge him getting paid however much he's getting paid but if we could just up it a little bit more for the next season or two when it's really going to count for this team. And then after that, kind of figure it out. But I agree that uh, something more would be definitely appreciated. Yeah. And my argument there was incredibly squishy, not super stats based. I, and I, I will fully, fully acknowledge that, but I, I have no issue with that. Yeah. I, I just think, um, I just think, I just think there's something there. I think with, you know, with, with more money comes a few more expectations and I think it made sense to sign him to that contract, but, uh, I think he might need to find ways to take his game up to another level. I mean, he's basically going to be in his prime here. So, and I, I think it's it's not an unreasonable ask. I mean, this he's had so many good seasons now, where it's like you know, two years ago he ended up averaging over twenty points a game. Yes, he had a slightly reduced role in the offense, which I think was good for him. But he still got to you know eighteen points a game last year, and kind of the per thirty six, he got over to like twenty one points a game. So it's not like we're making this impossible ask like, Hey, Chris, can you add another six points per game to your total? Like it's, it's not even that just, and he is super efficient too. So I, I think the crux of it is it's not even asking the world of the guy. It's just, can we get a little bit more, just a tiny bit more? It doesn't have to be unreasonable. Like you said, that's, that's hard to quantify and like a statistical output, but I, I think that's probably what everybody's pretty much expecting out of Chris at this point, especially now that, he got the contract. So if he can avoid like becoming fat, Chris, if we can avoid like a fat Chris <laughs> period, that would be really appreciated. It did not like go really, really well during the world cup. Uh, he seems to be pretty good like so far, but you know, if we could avoid drop offs, if we can avoid like fat, Chris, any of that, if we, like minimize. <laughs> <Chris>. <laughs> 
I'm not like a really like athletically or like super built guy. So, you know, now he's getting paid $37 million a year or whatever. And it's definitely, I see Fat Chris potentially coming. It might be more creative of a nickname than that, but you know. <laughs> Fat Chris watches on. Oh my God. <laughs> Uh, yeah. oh thanks riley all right okay let's do the last one okay let's do the big one um frank mason the third yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> here we go i'm ready uh oh no kyle we're of course we're going to talk about Giannis Antetokounmpo. so what do you have a su- successful season for him do everything he did last year and help milwaukee win a title or sign a super max yeah one or the other that's yes. that's it <laughs> And even if he signs the Supermax, I can already see ESPN saying, well, come 2029, Giannis is going to leave for L.A. And I'll be like, I'm going to drive the bristle and maybe burn it to the ground. I don't know. <laughs> I might have to. I can hear uh, who's uh, I can't remember his name right now. Who's who's the ESPN guy that follows LeBron around everywhere? Uh, oh, Brian Windhorse. Yeah, I can hear Windhorse right now. Like, you know. Sources are saying, watch out for the magic. <laughs> 2029, <laughs> watch out for the magic. I see that coming. Uh, to Giannis's successful season, I want him to pick up all the hardware that he uh, he hasn't gotten already. So let's go get that defensive player of the year. I think, I mean, you know, what else can he ask of this guy? He, he is obviously the heart and soul of the team, heart and soul of the franchise. Uh, his statistical output is absolutely insane. I don't see a reason why that won't be the case again this year. So um, if we could come around prove the freaking the haters all the haters out there that uh he is was definitively more deserving of an mvp than james harden uh, it was not like a fluke and if we can go get that defensive player of the year and then i think it's reasonable to ask him and it's tough to criticize Giannis because he is our everything and if he wasn't here we might as well not have a franchise so i totally acknowledge that but like we were saying with chris I think it's reasonable to ask him to play a little bit better in like a really important playoff series. And yes, it was really difficult because he was the only real option that we had. And Toronto had a lot of really, really good defenders. And it's just like, man, we're going to have to batter through this wall or find a way around it. And it's just, it was not happening. So I think it's reasonable to say, Hey, Giannis, the really, really like amazing player that you are, all the time let's just bring that a little a hair more in the playoffs and that would mean the world i think to this team because when he struggles the team struggles and that's just kind of the yin and yang of having a team that's built so specifically around a guy who is as talented as him but if he's not going at 110 percent, then obviously as we saw last year the system kind of gets a little clogged up and it's just not as efficient and then you don't have as many like other good alternatives to go to because you're so everything's predicated upon this guy, which is reasonable, but is a little bit dangerous as well. I 100% agree. I I don't think anyone on the team should be beyond criticism. Of course we know everything Giannis does for it, but I think if nothing else, he would be the first one to admit that he didn't play well enough in the the Raptor series. And it was, I think he did admit as much to Eric name possibly. And then that, last article that he ran, uh, but he needs to, he needs to play better flat out. How, where does that come from strategically? I, you know, I have a few potential ideas. Does he get a sort of go-to shot? Uh, he talked a lot about doing, having a mid-range shot and, you know, um, I mean, if we're able to knock, honestly, a couple years ago, you know, three or four years ago or something, he actually hit that shot pretty consistently. Um, I mean, is he able to hit that? Does he have, uh, there's that, 
he used to, he had like he was working on a little bit of like a step back jumper at the free throw line sometimes at points. Um, is it go to shot a, a baby hook uh, when he gets in there? Is it possibly trying to make quicker decisions when he's driving in and he's guarded by a guy like Kawhi and suddenly he has three like two or three other defenders you know reaching the reaching in to try and steal the ball from him and is he able to make reads a little bit quicker? Uh, any of those kind of things are. are, are are those things that would constitute a successful season? Am I overstating his uh, n- how necessary those things are, considering he is an insanely uh, good passer and all those kind of things? I, you know, I'm not sure exactly where it's going to come from, uh, like you said, Raleigh. But there, there does have to be at, at some point at least an incremental step up uh, to get over that hurdle that was uh, th- what the Raptors posed last year. And can we talk real quick about his three point shot because? Here's the deal. Okay. Here, here's the way that I'm looking at his three point shot. Would it be awesome if he came in this year and was like, God damn it, we have KD on this team too. This dude can make threes at like a high rate really naturally. I am a total disbeliever in like, just take the three. Like, okay, how do I, how do I position this without sounding like a total crazy person? So, like, he is not a natural three-point shooter. Like even in this preseason, his form not wonderful. Yes, it's super duper great that he is taking them, and I think it would take a load off his shoulders, especially in the regular season, if he's able to take and make those as a decent rate. But to look at that and be like, you know what would really make the difference if we added that three-point shot and we can use it in the playoffs? He is never, at least this season or next season he is not going to make them at a consistent enough rate or like at take enough of them to really justify teams to ever do anything other than like just drop off the guy. And so if that's the case, I don't want to put the entire success of this season. Like, well, hell can Giannis make 35% of like five, three point shots a game. That is just, it's not going to happen because that's not how he plays. So if that's the case, I want him to concentrate, like you said, Adam on other things, like, refine even more and if he's saying to us for whatever reason 60 percent, wherever number that wherever he got that number from if we're seeing the improvements off that 60 percent of his potential right now in like being a slightly better playmaker making the right decisions at the right time like defensively he's already pretty much good to go but it's like i am not going to sit here and hope that Giannis's three-point shot is the savior of this uh team because there are so many other guys on the roster that can shoot threes that Giannis doesn't need to and so emphasize areas that aren't the three-point shot. Do not, he, everybody else, do not get into the three-point shot as like, this is going to unlock the title. Like, this is it. Because it's, it's just not. It's, at this point, it isn't. And so improve elsewhere. Improve your playmaking. Improve, you know, you don't have to barrel into guys. Like, yes, your physicality is really impressive. But it, I do worry every once in a while, like, the way this guy plays you know, we're not super far away from there being some sort of injury at some point, which is you know, what he makes him special is his physicality and his energy. But if that's the case, you know, how long of a shelf life does that have? And obviously we saw it last year, it gets you an MVP, but can you do that and also be a really dominant force in the playoffs? So like, just choose your spots. I, I don't know. It's that kind of discussion has thrown me off a little bit this year. And, and I'm curious to see where that develops throughout the season. I don't see it as the savior, but I don't know how you guys feel about it. Yeah, I guess, like, does Giannis need a three-point shot? No, he does not need a three-point shot. Even, I think, just him not hesitating to shoot, is that's good enough for me. Just because if he's willing to shoot it, if he's willing to do it without any hesitation, if it's just a catch-and-shoot and and he's wide open, yeah, shoot it. But 
the expectation that he's going to be this like 34, 35% three point shooter. I don't think, I don't think a it's realistic B it's necessary. And kind of like what you said, Riley, it's not going to be the savior for the bucks franchise. It's, would it be nice? Sure. But then we might as well just cancel the season because then Giannis is going to be the greatest player that ever played at that point. So it's not necessary for him to have a three-point shot. I think him actually having a better mid-range shot would be better yeah. utilized yep. with his skill set than a three-point shot. And I know there's the whole analytics and blah, 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 blah. But <laughs> I think for me, it's pretty simple. If he can consistently get a good mid-range shot that he can go to, kind of like what he was hoping to do this offseason, great. That's good enough. I'd rather hit, have him be a consistently good mid-range shooter than someone that can hit 33% from three. Yeah, I, I guess Kevin I'm just... Durant. Yeah, ex- uh, I'm, I just, I'm confused. I guess this is probably not the best place to air all these grievances, but I'm, I'm confused. Like, what is the end game of Giannis adding a three-point shot? Like, what, what, is that, what does that even mean? Well, I mean... It- I think the issue right now is I I, I, line, I like what Kyle was saying in terms of his ability to have less hesitation. I think that's really is key because the time where the offense does feel like it bogs down a little bit is guy sags off Giannis by like five feet or whatever. Everyone's yes, standing, everybody on the court's like staring. I'm like, so uh, what are you going to do? Yeah, right? <laughs> exactly. Because like everyone says like, oh, Joel Embiid's a shooter. It's like Joel Embiid's a worse shooter than Giannis. But no one ever says that because Joel Embiid will fire up a three yeah, if yeah. he has a chance. Yeah, yeah, you're you're 100 right. You're also right, Riley. In that, even if he hits that at like 30, percent Giannis hitting a threes at 30 percent is precisely uh, the gambit that the Bucks are taking when they allow just about a ton of the bigs that they allow to shoot threes. Uh, that they do their gambit is let's let average three point shooters take three point shots. Eventually they'll miss, and they'll or they'll miss so much that they don't want to take the shots anymore. Uh, so. You know, I guess that's where it is. I mean, if if Giannis gets it up to 32% or something, I think the whole goal is just to try and make it so that the whole offense, the whole defense can't just like suck into a black hole where they're all like five or six feet away from the rim when Giannis wants to drive. Like, I, I mean, that that's really the end goal of it. If they're able to do that is just stretch, get, get there, get Giannis's defender two, three feet closer to him. And that's more than enough space for him to try and make that move then. Yeah, yeah, I suppose that's true. I, I just, I just think it's, I, and I don't want to come off as a guy like you know, it's nineteen eighty five. We need Giannis all inside all the time. Like I'm totally down with him trying to improve his game and add this shot. Like you know, keep working at it. That's fine. I just, I don't want to put my expectations be like you know, if he starts shooting three, this team is going to be impossible to because, like you were saying, with bigs. I just don't see it in this season or next season where he's going to be making it consistently enough or like quick enough or whatever to make that a viable part of the offense. And I don't know, I guess that's just a really random tangent on Giannis's successful season, but there's a reason why I didn't include like his three point percentage in that, because I just don't see that as super critical right now, maybe a couple of years from now it will be, but I don't see that as super critical as a successful season. Whereas others might say, you know, if he's making however many, however many made threes, then that's a successful season. I don't see it that way, in my opinion. 100% worthwhile discussion to have. Anything else you want to say on Giannis, Kyle? Eh, not really. Congrats <laughs> on being the dad, I guess, or future dad. So, Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, congrats to Giannis. Yeah, also, hey, Giannis, last year my challenge to him was – 
try to keep allusions to your future out of Greek media to like a minimum of four times or something. I think I don't speak Greek. I don't follow the Greek media, but I don't remember there being a ton of that last season. So if we could replicate that and also don't tell us about how awesome Milwaukee is and how you're going to have your Jersey in the rafters and don't sign the Supermax. So uh, take that no comments. If you have no intention of signing or I'm unsure about the uh, Supermax, that would be my uh, advice to Giannis. Here we go. Uh, PR spokesman, Riley Feldman uh, speaking at advice to Giannis. DMs are open, Giannis, if you need somebody. <laughs> I am. I have free time, so let me know. Fantastic. Well, thank you to everyone who listened to this. It's probably going to be annual exercise now. Uh, we can finally have some real games to talk about in the weeks ahead. Really looking forward to that, breaking down the Houston game, Miami game, and every game henceforth throughout this regular season as we traverse this buck season that we hope will end in a championship cross your fingers knock on wood. do we want to do predictions like we did last year what did we predict i mean no like for the week oh yeah we can do predictions like we did last year thank you oh, for yeah that's a good point yeah. shout out I was just like, wait we, we should probably do that yeah yeah uh, uh who do we all play this week i know we play the rockets and it's uh the rockets on thursday the heat yeah. on saturday and then actually yeah Although by the time we record again, ooh, it's gonna be a couple. It's gonna be a couple weeks. <laughs> um, so Is let's it, just do the first two games. So I say two and zero. Man, I will go one and one because I think not having Eric against the Houston or against the Houston in the Houston game is going to be kind of a tough ask. Uh, it'll be kind of a weird like adjusting there's more different pieces for Houston than there is for Milwaukee and Milwaukee's missing like his lead guard, unless maybe there's a chance Eric plays, but I think they'll drop the Houston game and everybody's be like, Ooh, man, I told you Harden was MVP. I see that coming right, right out of that game. And I think they'll win the Miami game. So one and one on the start the season. Yeah, I agree with you, Riley. I think there's going to be all those awful freaking narratives for one day after that Houston game, if they lose. So I'm going to go one and one. I think they'll pick up the victory in Miami though. So Kyle, uh, back par for the course, going with the optimistic route, and usually wound up being right last year. So we will see. But thank you again to everyone who listened, and we will talk to you again soon. On the streets of old Milwaukee was a young boy walking.